Welcome to On the Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. So we'll talk about France today because they've recalled the Madrid striker Benzema back to the national team for the Euros after a six-year absence. Will it be Comsi Comsa on his fractures past? In Germany, Dortmund give a masterclass on how to save your season going down the Rhine without a paddle. And in Turkey, one of the closest title races of the season is resolved without the difference the Mesut Ozil factor was supposed to make. So, Andy, before we talk about Bim Bimmer, who's got the keys to Benzema, the <laughs> gals damn sugar, you wanted to talk about the outcome of the Italian Cup and French Cups last night. Yeah, um, victories for the little guys, uh, Juventus and uh, Paris Saint-Germain winning their uh, respective the little guys. cups. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, uh, I think the French one was very interesting because it was between Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco. They've both got a lot riding on the the, the, the final day and the fact that they could get it done um, without Neymar, who was suspended for the final. But the Italian one, Miguel, was really interesting because Juventus had to fight pretty hard to put away Atalanta, who, unlike themselves, have already qualified for the Champions League. It was interesting hearing Pirlo talk about his future and saying he would definitely confirm himself in the job. <laughs> and then, little pause, if it was down to him. I am available. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For continuation. Um, it was just, I mean, I, I think, I suppose you pointed to it there. It's also just slightly de- depressing. And also, the, even the Ju- Juventus almost casting themselves as having to fight in that way. Mm. I mean, it's something we've obviously discussed a lot on the podcast, but... I think it's all the more pointed this season because this season involves so much disruption. You know, it was unprecedented chaos in the game, all the rest of it, that if ever there was a chance to skew European football, this was it. And yet, bar potentially Lille winning the title, bar Atlanta finishing second, bar maybe Atletico Madrid winning the league. And Atletico Madrid are pretty much a super club now. Well, that, that they were in the super league, exactly, weren't they? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, for all the questions about how financially secure they are. But beyond that, it is... it is We're seeing a little bit too much of regression to the usual order. And, he, and he, even Juventus, it feels like a lot, of, a lot of their problems have been kind of self-inflicted. Yeah, that's true. Ra- rather than actually anything to do any great um, Robin Hood-like overturning of power or whatever. Um, but yeah, so... In that context, both of the teams winning was a little bit depressing. I was quite pleased for Pochettino to finally win a trophy, but I mean, that's a, that says a lot about the situation of Paris Saint-Germain as well. Just on the question of Juventus, are you saying, Miguel, that they're too big not to have a place in European tournaments? No, more so, I suppose, it's just that um, basically the, the, the problems they've had have been, I mean, they've made some kind of weird decisions over the last three years. In fact, they probably went from being one of Europe's most stable and well-run clubs who use what at the time were more limited finances, compared, at least compared to the other super clubs, in a very calculated way, to then in the last few years going for kind of just decisions that are a lot harder to explain as they make the I leap. I think the phrase these days is moonshot. <laughs> <laughs> or going yeah. for broke. Yes, yes, possible. <laughs> They're making a good job of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, of, of course, there could still be huge repercussions for them and Pirlo. Pirlo was never going to get confirmed after winning the Coppa Italia because it's all about yeah. what happens this Sunday for them when they could still miss out on top four. Incredible. 
But the other topics, as I say, to talk about, and I suppose an eye-catching one is the return of Karim Benzema to the France squad. Miguel, clearly, this is with a view of making him... Uh, what you'd expect to be one of the star attractions of the Euros. Oh yeah, I mean, like I suppose only a few weeks ago when it looked like Madrid could somehow do what they always do and go against form and even the quality of the side sometimes and uh, win the European Cup again. There was, I think, legitimate talk about Karim Benzema as Ballon d'Or winner. It, it did feel like he's carried Real Madrid a lot and he's kind of, he's in, in a strange way, become the kind of dominant figure that he had looked like he was going to be in 2008 but always became a little bit of a kind of a, a secondary cast member so from a purely football perspective it obviously makes so much sense but obviously there are so many strands to this story from kind of elements like I suppose the cohesion of national teams and how Deschamps have tried to run France right down to I think uh, almost Benzema's the perception of Benzema as a figure in France and of course the uh, the entire case hanging over him. It, 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 it's a really fascinating story. I think, and it's, I suppose because the club game, because they're so close together and the club game has been so dominant of late, it feels like Euro 2020 has suddenly come out of nowhere. That There hasn't been that much of a build-up. Mm. Whereas this suddenly, this story suddenly put it front and centre again and it's a, it's a huge one to kind of suddenly build up the competition. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, obviously, potentially, it's a huge difference maker for France. As Miguel was saying, he's um, one of the best players in the world, certainly in form. And so for France to bring him into what is already a squad absolutely heaving with talent is is, is extraordinary. I mean, the off-pitch stuff, clearly that's still happening. Um, you might want to explain that. Yeah, What's the baggage that comes with Benzema? That's right. Well, th- there's this... Um, uh, blackmail case uh, that he has been um, alleged to have been a part of involving his uh, former international teammate uh, Mathieu Valbuena which is a huge part of why he hasn't played for France since the back end of 2015 the course is uh, the case is still live he is going to court for it in October although he's always denied any involvement um, and that has definitely affected the way he's perceived in France or some would say uh, nurtured certain views of and uh, prejudices involving him in certain parts of French society. Um, but it hasn't f- affected his game. Or if it has, it's affected or, it in a or positive ma- ma- way. Maybe, as you say, in a positive way. Because I think the fact that he's been able to um, exercise right, eat right, have good holidays... It's definitely helped the way he's played at Real Madrid. He's definitely helped Real Madrid where he's had to take on a completely different role because of the failure, for one reason or another, of Gareth Bale to step into the shoes of Cristiano Ronaldo, the fact that Eden Hazard hasn't really worked out, the fact that they've had no other real centre-forward. That He's gone, really, from the creator Mm. to the finisher. And he could always finish. He was always a terrific finisher. But the fact that he's recast himself, and he has changed as a player in terms of the way he's muscled up, is something we talked about quite recently on OTC. Um, That really, the evolution of his game is what has persuaded Deschamps to re-pick him. Because all this other stuff, and of course there's that famous line from Benzema that he gave in that interview to Marca a couple of years ago when he said um, Deschamps had given in um, to the opinions of a racist part of France which is quite a provocative thing mm. to say. And obviously Eric Cantona went on and took it further, which was the subject of, of legal action from Deschamps and his team. But 
the thing is, because it was never about that for Deschamps, because for him, he is the ultimate pragmatist as a coach in terms of the way he plays, in terms of the players he's picked. Go back to his times with Juventus, with Marseille at club level. He's massively fallen out with players before and then brought them back as if nothing's happened. Wipe the slate clean just like that. The thing with Benzema, it's not just about how he's viewed in society, in French society. It's not even just about the equilibrium of the team and the squad, which he has always put above everything else. Rather than picking the best players, he's always wanted the best balance of personalities, which is obviously hugely important at any international tournament. But I think it was the way that Benzema played because... Giroud, whatever you think of whether he's elite, not quite elite, whatever, I, I would tend towards the, the, the former rather than the latter. He's been perfect for France because no other striker has been able to do what he can do. Mm. So this, it's, it's a bit of a red herring when Benzema said in the past, um, you know, in that Instagram chat, he famously said, um, well, don't confuse an F1 car with a go-kart talking about himself <laughs> no, and, no. Uh, and Giroud. No. And he repeated it for, uh, for, <laughs> for value later on. The thing is, Giroud is the ultimate conduit for bringing those other people into play. He's, he's strong. He's a good target man. He's intelligent. He makes good runs in the he's channel. Consistent. He can make the last pass. He's, he's consistent in his all-round game for France, certainly. And he's started topping up that goal tally as well. And it is all about getting the best out of those other players. And it's been about getting the best out of Antoine Griezmann. Now, you look at two things. The fact that now that Benzema's muscled up and he can score headers in the penalty box, he can possibly offer you the prospect of being a better version of Giroud. And we know he can do that altruistic side as well because he created so many yeah. goals for Cristiano Ronaldo. And then you look at the fact that whereas in 2016 and in the Euros where they nearly won it in 2018 in the World Cup where they did win it so much of it was about creating the right conditions for Griezmann Griezmann is not in his best moment Yeah, and for all the talent that France have in their squad do they have a centre forward that you can really rely on anymore yeah. and this is what has made Deschamps make this decision this is a slight tangent but I think it's connected to what you're talking about in that in 2018, I remember kind of thinking, given France's talent, and I suppose, again, some of the personality you're pointing to, that to a certain degree, not that they won in spite of Deschamps, but that his approach almost suppressed what they had. Whereas now, I have to say, I I've, I've, have evolved my opinion in the last three years, or I think, and I think this is something worth discussing ahead of the Euros in general, that the international game is basically, it's almost like a completely different branch of the sport now than mm. club football that involves different requirements and how you set up. I mean, with, with the most, base, most basic, obviously, like, I mean, say the, the super coaches in, at the super clubs, they have so much, they, they essentially drill to an almost American football level. There's such a level of integration, which kind of is the foundation of modern attacks. You can't do that in, interna in the international game. No. Which is why it becomes more dependent on a solid structure, but also, and this is so relevant to Benzema, I think, kind of being able to create something out of nothing in quite an old-fashioned way. Um so I, I, again, I think it's why you can see the logic here and why, because there is that, for all France's talent, they do, there is that kind of, that, that little gap maybe, their they're one flaw in the team, or not, not one flaw, but the one area where they aren't quite as, uh, you know, as, as, as bolstered as everywhere else. Yeah, and you could argue that is something that you really need in international football now, someone who circumvents the need to play good football. 
And France under Didier Deschamps have been constantly criticised at home for the fact that they haven't played great football. Mm. I mean, I agree with you. you. You don't win international tournaments now by playing great football simply because of the way that the calendar's set up. You need to be solid and yeah. create those big moments. But we know that not only can Benzema create a bit of magic, he can score off set pieces. Look at the goal he got yeah, against yeah, Chelsea yeah. In, in, the, in, the, in the first leg of the Champions League semi-final, a point at which Real Madrid were getting battered, creating nothing, and he just snapped up, sharp as you like, some, some seconds from a, from a set piece. And I think that is important as well. I mean, you have to assume he's going there to start that Olivier Giroud is, is going to get the elbow. Benzema's not going to, yeah, to yeah. sit on the bench. I think that's clear. And that does have, I think that does have certain implications to the, to the squad spirit, which Deschamps must have thought hard about. You see, what I don't get, and I, I get your point uh, about to win uh, international tournaments, you have to be solid, not necessarily play the best football, but you do still need a star attraction, don't you? I mean, unless you're lucky enough to have been in the position that Greece were or Denmark were when they won the European Championships, you still do need a star attraction. And that has got to be um, Benzema, I would have thought, for the French team this time around ahead of the Euros because he's the guy first of all that you're looking to because he's in the, the informed striker you do always need to get the goals there don't you? I think it just elevates a team just gives them that kind of different weapon that they're lacking I don't think I necessarily think you need it and I do think this is actually going to be because of the season we've had and unlike the issues we've been talking about in club football I think this could be quite an open Euros mm. um, like Why? The, just be, I mean if you, if you look at the history of tournaments that have had shock winners or a lot of sh- a lot of surprises, with the chief being, I suppose, two thousand four, ninety two. Not so much, I think, because it was a slightly different context. And also, I think that Denmark team was quite underrated. Uh, but anyway, that's a, a different discussion. Uh, so, but yeah, but two thousand four and two thousand and two, two thousand two, the that World Cup started really, really quickly after the club season to 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 basically to allow for the uh, the Asian rainy season. So I think what I think the Champions League final was on something like the 14th of May and the World Cup started on the 31st of May. Mm. That's almost no time at all. And also, and this is connected to 2004, that was just as the club game was adjusting to the expansion of the Champions League. So what happened was he had a series of international tournaments where players were going in, like the star players were going in really fatigued. I think, and I think, I think it's a direct explanation for why Greece won and why 2002 had so many shocks and Argentina and Italy going out early and all the rest of it. And I think we could be getting into a similar situation here, especially again because there's a there's a really quick turnaround again, a 24 team tournament. We've just had a, a, like a season of unprecedented. Um, intensity in terms of schedule so at least there's a bit more of an opening for, for, for lesser sides in that regard I mean, with France, smaller countries should with, I say with France's ability if it wasn't for like deadlines in terms of like registering your squad what you could do is you could get 23 players to play or 26 players to play the first part of the tournament <laughs> and then change them over after the group stage because you look at some of the players that have been left out I mean the talent is is unbelievable that they've left at home. And, you know, there, there are, I've said it before, there are legitimately 50 players yeah. who could say that, you know, I could be in that France squad. It's remarkable. The one thing I actually just, uh, I feel I should mention this because I, I did, I did find it quite moving yesterday was all these videos from basically, um, of kids in North African communities in France just cheering the Benzema news. It was, it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was remarkable. 
Um, but it was, the, the, that, that that's where he's from. Somebody. That's where he's from, yeah. though, isn't it? He's straight out of the barn. You crazy, Cole Benzema from the cold. Do you know what I mean? That, that, yeah, that that is that that, that is him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, he's 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 been consistent in. Um, the, the, the sort of guy he is and not cutting himself off from from his community. I mean, he even did say in frustration, of course, a couple of years back, well, if France don't want me, maybe I'll go and play for Algeria. Knowing full well, I'm sure that that couldn't happen because he, he played 80-odd games for, for France. But it's interesting because when you look at his closeness with Zinedine Zidane, which I, you can't escape the fact that that has been a huge part of this. And, you know, that Zidane at some point, it wouldn't surprise me that... Um, Maybe he followed Didier Deschamps in in this job. The fact that Zidane really never spoke about that fact that he was from a North African background. He never really got into uh, the political and um, social implications of that. It wasn't lost. Completely, it wasn't lost. It wasn't lost. It wasn't lost on. It wasn't lost on anyone. And you know, if you think like people from. the outskirts of Marseille, sort of cheering for a guy who never played for their club. Mm. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And sometimes people from Marseille feel quite divorced from the, the, the rest of France. So in terms of him being a figure of unity, yes, he was really, really important. But Benzema, it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say on this going forward because he's someone who's who, who knows his own mind, who's who's not... I wouldn't exactly call him chatty, but on the other hand, he he doesn't duck issues. You know, uh, funny enough, I've been to the Bonlieu of Marseille and it was one of the grimmest places that I've been to where people live en masse. And I just remember one little kid who couldn't have been more than about eight years old that I just wanted to slap. He was just swearing at us. He was just swearing at us. I mean, <laughs> proper, proper, the most vulgar kind of swearing. I, at I us have told reason. you not to go to Marseille wearing your England shirt. <laughs> Dortmund seemed to have saved their season. It was looking a little bit grim for them a couple of weeks back, or a couple of months back, I suppose, but. I suppose they've done quite well for the team that they should be. They seem to have salvaged their season. How do they do it? Well, you're right. The first time it was weeks ago. Weeks. I, I mean, at the start of April, Dutton, seven points adrift of the top four. And it wasn't just the results. They, they looked so disjointed, so disorganised. And the coach, Edin Terzic, who, of course, took over, he was the assistant to, to Lucien Favre. Um, who was binned in mid-December. Terzic was given it for the rest of the season as they looked for their long-term target, who they eventually got, Marco Royce of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Marco Rosa, sorry, of Borussia Mönchengladbach. They've already got Marco Royce, who will start work next season. And that left Terzic really facing a, a, a huge first job. He's never been a head coach before. He's got some interesting experience, um, both in the Dortmund youth setup, where he was under Jurgen Klopp, and then under um, Slavin Bilic, who personally headhunted him to work with him at um, Bajiktash and West Ham. Still only 38 years old, Edin Terzic. And this was an enormous job for him. And when you go back to the start of April, you think he's been thrown in at the deep end 
without a rubber ring and it's, it's, it's just too much for him. You know, you think he can't get any sort of consistency out of the team. He can't organise the defence. They're really relying on just individual moments of quality to, to, to make the difference. And at that point, it's got a whole load of implications because one, missing out on the Champions League in any year is not great. Missing out on the Champions League in pandemic year when everyone's mm. lost a lot of money. You know, this is not the Dortmund that won the title and got to the Champions League final under 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 Klopp where everyone likes to talk about, oh yeah, they had a lower wage bill than QPR back then. Well, one, QPR were running an absolutely massive wage bill in the Premier League at the time. And two, once you succeed in any sport, you have to start paying yeah, the yeah. players. And, and Dortmund are a lot further along the line now. Um, so it would have been very, very expensive for them. It would have had an effect in terms of Erling Haaland because, of course, I think it's no coincidence that as they look as if they're not going to qualify for mm. the Champions League, Mino Raiola and Althinger, the, the, the dad, of course, do their little tour of Europe <laughs> trying to drum up potential suitors. Most of these potential suitors obviously don't have the money to make anything happen with Holland this summer. But it's just a case of Raiola saying, look, if you don't deliver us Champions League, which our mm. client very much loves playing in, we do have other possibilities. And even if you say you're keeping him till 2022, well, maybe we'll see about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and now, I think after this double triumph, and they have had a lot of assists from Eintracht Frankfurt, who went and lost 4-3 at already relegated I mean, that, Schalke just, last week. Just to go across, is that, is that, if that, I mean, maybe this is a little harsh on a club, kind of still trying to defy the odds a little bit, but... It feels like a massive bottle job from Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, and they've 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 been there before. I mean, if we go back, Miguel, to two years ago, when um, again under Adi Hütter with that terrific um, front trio of uh, Haller, Rebic, and Jovic, mm. you know, they're really close to knocking Chelsea out in the the the, the, champ, uh, the Europa League semi finals. Sorry, and it all fell apart in the last four or five games of the season, where they, they looked nailed on for the Champions League. And they've done it all over again. As you say, I don't think there is any other way of looking at going to Schalke yeah. and losing Schalke, already yeah, relegated yeah. Schalke. And for Schalke fans, you think your season of misery can't get any worse. <laughs> and then you roll out the yeah, red yeah, carpet yeah. for Dortmund to get in the Champions League. It's, you, couldn't, you couldn't make it up. But I, I think the fact that not only did they win the, the DFB Pokal um, in style with two from Holland and two from Sancho, this was last Thursday... Things happen so quickly in football at the mm-hmm. moment and qualify for the Champions League. But the bit where Haaland was injured, particularly when they beat Leipzig in the league a couple of weeks ago, and he's a really demonstrative cheerleader. I think that that is, that there couldn't be a more public of expression of, I want us to get to the Champions League. I still want to be here next year. Just on that actually as well. I mean, I suppose one side is uh, Frankfurt, but... How much is is this maybe a little bit harsh on Favre, but how much is Terzic basically undoing and why there was a little bit of a delay trying to undoing some of the issues that there had been and putting something in place, which is why they've maybe come to form? Well, I, th- I think that there are two parts of it. Firstly, it's such a difficult job, not just because Terzic is so inexperienced at, at the top job. And, you know, you think there's nearly 30 years between him and Lucien Favre in, in terms of age. It's the fact that Favre was, as one journalist explained it, trying to win games 1-0 with a group of players who 
should be winning games 5-3. You know, there was no pressing. It was very counterintuitive to a lot of modern football. And then Terzic comes in and he's like, yeah, let's press. Let's be more Klopp. Let's get in people's faces. When do you have time to do that yeah, mid-season? Yeah, yeah. When do you have time to drill the players, to work on it on the training pitch, to get the necessary fitness? You don't have that time. And I think that really showed in the quite uneven results. I mean, Germany's known for having long winter breaks. They started again on the 2nd of January this year. I mean, they, they literally mm. had a five-minute breather and then they're, they're, they're straight back at it. So that was really hard. I think he's used his emotional connection with the club, Terzic. And he has got this really emotional connection with the club. He was very moved after they won the Pokal final. And he did this Instagram post of him in 2012 when he's on the terraces as a fan watching them win the cup under Klopp. And then you have 2021 where he's on the pitch holding mm-hmm. his trophy, which which is really nice. But how he's managed to finally get through to the senior players which he didn't look as if he was capable of doing and Marco Royce who has had a season where his body has really looked beaten up and you know he said like this week that I've asked Yogi Love to not go to the Euros which is hard for him but he said I, I just need a rest I, I, I just can't give any more he's looked like he was on the way out, really, of the top level for most of this season. And then in recent weeks, from somewhere, he's pulled it back and, and, and played really well. I think the return of Sancho is absolutely massive as well. And going back, Miguel, I don't know what you think. But his form in 2021 has been incredible. That little pause with the thigh injury, what difference would it have made to the Champions League this season if he's fit for those two Manchester I know, games? yeah. Especially given how close that game was and how mm. up until the Foden finish, City were kind of, well, they're on the rack a little bit. And, and they did look very, very vulnerable in that first leg as well. And S- Sancho could have been the difference. I wonder if, though, for Dortmund, you could argue that... Uh, you, you mentioned Sancho, how vital he is for the club. Uh, everybody's focus is on where Haaland is going to go next. And I wonder if you could make an argument that it is something of a poison chalice to have gotten into Europe, given that we're expecting, aren't we, the Dortmund squad to unravel um, in terms of players, significant players leaving ahead of next season. I think they're in better control of it because they don't have to sell to the same extent. They're still expecting to sell Sancho this summer. But if he were to turn around and say, you know what, I fancy an extra year. And speculation has increased that that might be the case. Certainly speculation in Germany has increased that that might be the case because he's been at pains to say recently how happy he is. You know, he's he's never going to go... I, I think in a strange way, and not completely down to format like that, his market has reduced more. Yes. I mean, part, of, part of it is what Dortmund would want, although I understand there is a there has been a little bit of, I don't want to say regret, but maybe there was a feeling that last season actually was the optimum point to sell him mm. or to get the optimum price, especially because Liverpool, Liverpool want him or have wanted him for a while, but probably don't have the funds. Manchester United, it feels like, have almost moved on a little bit in that regard and they, they, they may look elsewhere particularly to defensive midfield and obviously uh, I mean as as far as his next step a return to England has been put forward as a big one I mean Madrid are, are looking elsewhere now and probably don't have the money um, and then with Haaland from what I after as you say a period two months ago where they did their little world tour and it looked like he was almost certain to go this summer there are increasing indications he actually might stay now for another season 
and that they might feel it's better for him to move next year, better for his career as well. Yeah, I wonder if there's some sort of halfway house contract extension to be reached to mm. protect his value going forward and to to give him that reward for, for yeah. everything he's, he's put in with a, a bit of a pay bump. I mean, he's been very clear about how much he loves it there. Um, mm. I think the relationship with him and Holland, which has been the footballing bromance of of, of 2021. Well, Holland and Yeah, apart from us, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's been something that's really notable and the fact that Holland has developed his all-round game so they actually click to a better extent on the pitch. I think they both think they can get a little bit more out of that as well. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Miguel. I mean, his form has been brilliant in the second half of this season. But a lot of these big, big transfers are very, very difficult to make in this in this coming year. Le très bon ballon de la part d'Emerichan. Jadon Sancho fait la différence. Jadon Sancho et le voilà. Le premier but de la saison. Enfin, l'abnégation récompensée. Jadon Sancho, 91e minute pour venir valider le break du Borussia Dortmund. Let's talk about a league now that we have neglected to a certain extent over this season, which is the Turkish league. Um, It's interesting now that that has been decided that the one player, this star attraction of this season, uh, signed from Arsenal, of course, Mesut Ozil, has not made the impact that that they probably at Fenerbahce were expecting him to make. Dotton, he's not only not won them the league... They're not in the Champions League, Fenerbahce. And that is a huge issue. Now, we have to say, firstly, this was a brilliant end to the Turkish season because on the final day, three potential teams can win it. Two, realistically, is out of um, Bajiktas and Galatasaray. Now, Bajiktas go into the final game on top, but the goal difference is so close. They could actually be top on the final day, win on the final day, and not win the title. <laughs> And that could that could have happened. Two more goals for Galatasaray against um, Malachispor, and 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 that's what that's what happens. Um, it it didn't happen. They got there in the end, Bajiktas. But when you consider the pickup in Fenerbahce's last what two months of the season, you look at the results under Emre, of course, former Newcastle and uh, Inter divider of opinion. Um, <laughs> who was the sporting director and came to coach the team for uh, after after they got rid of Errol Balut. And it's extraordinary to me that you, you look at the numbers going into the last couple of games, he's going along at two and a half points a game. And they still don't, they, they not only don't win the league, they don't finish in the top two. And Fenerbahce, we know they've had issues in terms of trying to clear their name of match fixing, etc. But, for a club like them, who like to be as extravagant as them in the transfer market, to not make the Champions League again, Miguel. I mean, they've, they've been such a notable absentee from the Champions League. Yeah. And when in January they go all in, not only in, even if you're signing Ozil at a wage cut, it's not a cheap signing. And it's a, you know, very visible signing as well. And on top of that, they get uh, a fan, Jan Kachevi, as well, from Bajik Shahir. And do you need him if you've got Ozil already? Well, that's debatable. But they've, got, they've gone all in, and then they don't only not win the title, 
they don't get in the Champions League. That that's quite hard to sell, isn't it? Given actually what we're what we've been talking about at the top of this podcast, it is actually quite invigorating that that they couldn't just spend their way yeah, to totally. victory uh, and actually showed that for for all that money conditions football more than anything else, you can still spend it very badly. Yeah, uh, and and especially if you get, I mean. It, in in the modern game like that, it does feel also, and I suppose this is relevant to like so many big players now, so many big contracts, and especially just given what we've been just been talking about with players like Haaland and Sancho, it feels like one of the stupidest moves you can possibly make in modern football. And actually, again, this is relevant to Juventus, is just getting completely persuaded by star power and throwing a load of money at at someone in their late twenties or early thirties, uh, because given the pace of the modern game as well. And there are a lot of those. There are a lot of those short-term fixes at Fenerbahce, mm. Papi Cisse. There's been someone else who's brought in, and you know he's he's scored goals wherever he's been. He scored goals since he's been in the Turkish Super League. Uh, Ena Valencia was really important for them in the run-in as well. This is very much former Premier League bingo. Wait till <laughs> the bit where I tell you that the goal that won the title was by a current Premier League player, <laughs> and then we'll be talking. Indeed, but it, it, there was a certain arrogance, though, isn't there, that you think that a star player, or he, he wasn't a star player when he left Arsenal, but certainly for your uh, league, he would be a star player. A big player from another league can just slot into your league and make a difference. There's a, a, he, he, he was kind of an Arsenal blogger by the end. That was his, his main style. <laughs> you, you could argue that. No, you could argue that's where I saw him mostly, and not on the pitch, as it were. But... Um, it goes to show that there are very few players and it's a unique skill to be able to transfer from one league to a completely different league, not talking about just the pace, you know, but the expectations and everything else that you would have had on him in Turkey. And to expect that to deliver you a trophy. I get the point you're saying that it's actually quite refreshing that you can't buy your way to a trophy, Miguel. Uh, but actually, there's something much more fundamental here, I think, which is... I'm not sure whether star players star players are more likely to not deliver when you switch uh, disciplines to another league. It's an interesting point, and I think even more pertinent with Özil is to go from a situation where you've not played basically for a year to mm. expecting to carry a team. That is very, very difficult in a very physical league as well. And uh, you know, there was always understanding both from Fenerbahce from inside the club and from pro Fenerbahce voices outside the club that, oh, it's going to take time. But it was such a huge, a seismic cultural event for him to arrive. It's quite difficult to contain that expectation. Now, that point you made about hunger, the guy, incidentally, who scored the winning goal, who had a great season, who scored the winning goal for Bajiktas, that won the title on the final day from the penalty spot, Rashid Gazelle, who still belongs to Leicester, terrific season I think if you look at the players they've got in if you look at Gizal another one who bombed in the Premier League George Kevin and Kudu who had a, some super fun on social media following their win which we'll come to in a minute um, the idea of a player like Ozil's done it all you can criticise him for what happened at Arsenal but at the end of it he can still turn around and go well yeah I've had a great career mm-hmm. but whereas Gizal and Nkudu can't necessarily say that. And they played all season yeah. with the hunger of guys going, actually, we're better but, but than you think we are. That that hunger also is kind of central, I suppose, to what we're talking about as well. I mean, I suppose there are a few questions about what Ozil's own motivation is beyond going back, going to Turkey 
and being kind of a revered figure in that way. Mm. But also, do we think there was any kind of arrogance about him that he thought he could go back and kind of just impose? Or even is it just that at this point, and given what happened at Arsenal, is he just complacent now having achieved so much and he just, just doesn't have that assertiveness anymore? I mean, like what, one assist for Ozil and what was it, 10 appearances? It's just, that is shocking, actually. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at that, that is shocking, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the, the, the assist wasn't, Anything sent from heaven. It, yeah, was, it, yeah. was, it was free kick. Uh, I mean, you know, they've they've always played the line that you know we've signed him for the young long haul is for the next couple of years. But I think to for this to be such a a huge commercial moment, and them not to even get in the Champions League at the moment for him not to be in the Champions League next season, that's got to hurt. And you've really got to praise Bijiktas who. At the start of this season, no one thought they had a chance of getting anywhere near this this title. They have made the most of the slips that Galatasaray and Fenerbahce have, have made. And actually, Galatasaray played a really smart winter window. They got in um, Mustafa Mohamed, the uh, Egyptian striker who scored lots of goals for them. They, they got a Fernando Muslera, their iconic goalkeeper, back from injury, which was big as well. But Bejiktas, um, coached really well by Sergen Yalcin, um, have have done a, a brilliant job, and bearing in mind that they've had financial issues again, that people even wondered whether they could get together a competitive team at the start of the season to go on the run that they've gone is amazing. And I tell you what, they deserve that flotilla along the Bosphorus <laughs> to celebrate their title. You know, they got the um, they got like the Turkish. Lord River. Byron swam across the Bosphorus, and he had a gammy leg. So what? What? What did they need the flotilla I, I t- for? I tell you what, they probably had him in as well. It was quite a presentation, given that we're in COVID times. Well, they won the double as well because they they beat Antalya Sport in the Turkish Cup final, and so um, I've been parading the trophy on this flotilla, which they took from the Asian side of Istanbul all the way to their stadium, which if if, if you know the Bajiktas Stadium, Vodafone Park, is, is right on the, 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 the Bosphorus by uh, Dolmabache. So they're all celebrating on the boat and uh, all the rest of it. They get like what's the Turkish equivalent of you know, you know the service that like you, you text them or you use the app and they deliver groceries to yeah. your house. In a, in a wonderful sponsoring twist, <laughs> they got that to deliver the trophy the to the boat. <laughs> Actually, just given all the discussion about the Champions League final, how, how did it all? How does it all work with the kind of celebrations? <laughs> well, I, I guess that means there's lots of public areas in which uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're waiting for large amounts of people <laughs> that, that are no longer going to be met. I mean, you know, Istanbul's going to get his Champions League final in in 2023 now, which is also, if I'm not mistaken, the 100th anniversary of the Turkish Football Federation. So it's a bit like when Wembley got the Champions League final in in 2011, for for example. I mean, they've been waiting for long enough and it wouldn't have been quite the same. Just a final word on Mesut Ozil. Um, And Miguel touched on the fact, was it you, sorry, Andy, that was talking about how um, very tough the the Turkish league is and brutal brutal and Mesut Ozil is not that kind of a player he's the kind of like twinkle oh he will be in six months time if he wants to keep playing I'm not sure because (laughs) here's the history of these kind of star players appearing on an in another league is that the other players the ones that aren't fated as much as you think I'm not having that I'm not having that not with you on the pitch you're not making a mug of me on the pitch and I wonder whether they haven't been a little bit more brutal with Mesut Ozil 
for this season? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why he failed so dramatically. Well, I think, you know, he's he's brought into an existing team. I think if he gets a pre-season, if he gets himself properly fit, if he gets on the same level as the other players in the squad, then maybe it's a different kettle of fish. But it's a long time since we've seen the very best of, of Meza Ozil now. I mean, even 75% of the best of Meza Ozil would be a huge asset to not just Fenerbahce, but to the Turkish Super League. And I hope we get that. It is time, um, the end of season time, for you to both suggest a game of the week that we can focus on. And I imagine, you know, given that there are two big leagues in uh, Europe that aren't quite done yet, the focus will be on Spain and France. Am I right, Andy? Yes. So, who's going to go for Spain, Miguel? Uh, I will go for Spain. Who's going to go for Spain, Miguel? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will, of course, go for the... I mean, there's there's Madrid's game, but ultimately that is dependent on what happens uh, between Valladolid and Atletico Madrid. And we could see the grand coronation. Um, So, I have to say, this is... I think this this is set up for a hugely anxious tense 90 minutes uh, uh, Atletico don't do any other way like, yeah exactly they? I mean I was I was watching the uh, the Osasuna game the other day and it was that was a team up close to a massive bottle job yeah it, it was absolutely remarkable and, you know I say that I mean our, our hometown club on my mother's side our Osasuna they have a good account to themselves, a good spirited uh, semi-Basque, semi-Spanish account. <laughs> they gave a good account of themselves yeah. while Atletico missed chance after chance yeah, yeah. in that first but, half. But it, was, it, like it, it, but it wasn't like they were kind of opening up, typically of Atletico, no. really. It was all this very kind of staccato football. Um, and, I mean, I suppose it ultimately depends on if they can get some sort of early goal against Vidalid, that that should be it. But if not, if it, go, if it, if it ticks past, say, 20 minutes then you're, kind of, you're getting into one of those situations. But you, you say that, but if they get an early goal, if they don't build on it, yeah, yeah. They, they, they'll end up defending for the last 20 minutes yeah. anyway. I mean, that's the incredible thing about this Atletico, isn't it? Can you imagine if there's only one goal in it? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, f- I feel tense just then. I know, I know, I know. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the one that we should watch, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I I, th- I, th- I think so, right? And uh, it's interesting that um, Ronaldo, of course, the, the great Brazilian, the president of Valladolid, is uh, currently getting a lot of stick from the Valladolid fans. Of course, they're on the brink of relegation um, about the, the, the way he's run the club. So, of course, if he did something positive for for Real Madrid, his old club, that'd be interesting as well. Isn't it, but isn't it all the way, always the way that title contenders are more nervous about the teams that they're going to face who are about to be relegated and you would have thought they've got nothing to play for, but they always get nervous that, oh, this is going to be the upset that they've been waiting for all season. Well, it, it is good when you've, you've got skin on both sides of the, the game and that is going to be reflected in my choice of game for... France because of course the equation is quite simple if Lille go to Angers and they win much like Atletico then they've won the title they looked a little bit nervous last weekend when they didn't beat Saint-Étienne and uh, PSG closed the gap to um, one point now PSG are playing Brest away Brest quite a talented team but they could still end up in the relegation playoff spot. There are five possible teams that could end up in the relegation playoff spot. But I'm not going to go for either of those games. I'm going to say the one to watch out of the big four 
is going to be Lens against Monaco because Lens can still make it into Europe. Monaco can finish anywhere from first to fourth. That's right. They could still win the title. Everyone thinks it's down to Lille or PSG. But basically, if Monaco were to go to Lens and win and Lille and PSG have a meltdown and lose, Monaco win the title, (laughs) which would be amazing. Having said that, if they don't win at Lens, who, as we say, really want a result, and Lyon beat Nice, then they finish fourth. So that that is all in. That is all possibilities. Nicely staggered as well on Sunday, aren't they? I think. Yeah, the yeah. Times. They're going to have to explain the drop to their fans. And we <laughs> could have won it, <laughs> but we ended up fourth. It's a hard <laughs> one, mate. <laughs> This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.